Hi everyone, Omer here. I'm back to present you with another episode of Generation Squeeze's Hard Truths. I hope you're all doing well in this strange time. It looks like we're in another COVID wave, even though we're not treating it like we have previous waves. I hope you and your loved ones are safe and healthy. In this episode of the podcast, I'm going to be chatting with Dr. Paul Kershaw and Andrea Long about some of the feedback we've received through email in the last little while. We tend to get some feedback, uh, as you'd expect. Some of it is very kind uh, and generous. Other feedback, not so much. So we're going to be looking at just a sampling of the feedback we've received and responding to it. Paul, as you'll know, is a policy professor at the University of British Columbia, and he is also the founder of Generation Squeeze. Andrea is our Senior Director of Research and Knowledge Mobilization. All right, let's get to it. So I'm going to just read out some of the mail, three pieces of mail or emails that we've gotten. One of them is quite slanderous. The other one is, you know, so sort of critical and looking for feedback. Um, and then the other one, the final one is positive. So I'll, I'll read out each or part of each and get your responses. The first one is very short and simple. And it's, I guess I won't read the name of the person. We'll just keep it anonymous. Um, so he, he says, or they say, uh, please stay out of the free market your socialist ideas simply exacerbate the problem. Well, at least they didn't say F off and die, which we sometimes get. Do you want me to take that one, Andrea? Oh, sure. Go ahead. I mean, yeah, that one, you know, that one is definitely sent directly often to me. So I guess I wanted to say in response to that, like, <laughs> I really want people to understand that every capitalist society, Canada included, has taxation. And we have progressive taxation in our income taxes. And all that Jen Squeeze is talking about is continuing on with the very kind of taxation that we have. We have, house, we have property taxation, and we're talking about tinkering with the rates. It's not socialism. I think it is when people throw out this word that it's socialism, um, we are somehow like really degrading debate. I would say these kinds of emails are not that uncommon and you know, I'm happy to just let them, you know, have Teflon and let them slip away. But it does give me pause about the way in which people throw around terms like socialism and capitalism with so little nuance. We do think we should be taxing people like me who've gained more uh, while I sleep from my housing wealth uh, in the home that I own by comparison with what I and my employer has contributed into my pension over the last 18 years. Yeah, I do think wealth windfalls are something we should say, hey, those who are benefiting them could potentially contribute slightly more so that uh, we have a pool of cash to invest in deeply affordable cooperative or rental housing. If people disagree with it, that's great. But they should talk about why they disagree with it, as opposed to suggest that the idea is socialism, because it so isn't. Yeah, and to think that something like uh, our housing market is a free market is kind of an interesting idea. Because, of course, it's it's not. It's, a, it's completely based on, you know, government regulation about where things can be built, how they can be built. Well, all, yeah. All markets are shaped by public policy, and maybe to this person who wrote this this idea, it would be worth pointing out that the United States, which I'm 
confident he would agree is a capitalist country. They have more taxation on housing wealth uh, than we do in Canada. So uh, what we're proposing at Gen Squeeze wouldn't have us even catch up with what they do in the United States. And so I suspect that uh, that that comparison alone should show why the person is just simply wrong. Yes, but if uh, anyone has uh, other nasty comments, please send them directly to Paul's inbox. <laughs> yes, paul.kershaw at UBC. I have actually created now a folder that says angry, and I just slip them in there, and sometimes I use them for fun when I'm uh, you know, just wanting to motivate myself. Uh, and I also have, though, like a, another inbox that says supportive, and, um, and I, I love receiving those ones too. I, I was just joking. Please don't send nasty comments. People don't understand like that can have like real impacts on the person receiving. I don't know about you, Paul. I guess you have a good attitude about it. But I mean, it makes me think about Dr. Bonnie Henry, who's been our public health officer, and she was receiving an email that people giving death threats. So like actively, I'm going to come harm you. Like that would freak me out. I do get literally, I mean, I can show you the F off and die. Those are the harshest or, you know, I should be deported to some socialist country. But nobody's been active in saying, I'm going to come harm you. That would freak the heck out of me. And I just feel for, you know, public leaders out there facing that. The rest, though, send it my way. That's how low a bar I have for democratic engagement in my inbox. So long as you don't actively threaten harm, send it my way. And we'll even respond to you on the podcast. (laughs) Um, But we'll also respond to other kinds of comments. So the next email comes from someone who describes himself as being 65 years old. And he says he listened to you, and he's referring to you, Paul, on CBC Radio the other day about the Ontario election and housing affordability. He goes on to say, I got the sense from what you said that uh, boomers, which is in quotes, uh, boomers seem to be causing problems for younger generations getting what they want from life. Let me share a little with you about my life. I grew up on welfare, fatherless, hungry. I learned very young that life is not fair. I had to make it fair. That took a lot of hard work. And then he goes on to describe some of that hard work. And then he says, now that I'm retired and finally not worried about my future, I have difficulty figuring out how to let go of the little that I have so that the people you represent can have more. Please help me understand. Well, I did engage directly with in, in correspondence with this fellow. And one, I wanted to, you know, I applauded the idea that hard, you know, I applauded his hard work. I mean, it's a strong value at Gen Z, a strong Canadian value. And I drew attention to like, hey, hard work in your case is clearly paid off. The point that Jen Squeeze is making is that hard work doesn't pay off for young people like it used to. And so that the data are clear. They are beyond contestation on this point that that person's scenario playing out today would less likely have that person end up in retirement with a kind of security that's saying this person, like he doesn't have to be as worried right now. That's not what the data are suggesting is reality for, you know, Gen Z, Gen Y, even some younger Gen Xers. And so I drew attention to that. And I, I just, I also indicated that I'm wondering about the degree to which this person's email is signaling that they're ready to lean in and say, hey, I want it to work for me and I'm ready for it to work for younger Canadians. Or is he buying into the idea that we're whining? And so this takes us back to the myth of the lazy millennial and the, you know, the myth of, you know, most seniors are poor. And so I, I, I expressed to this email writers that just, the, you know, the concern, 
you know, I wasn't quite sure if he was leaning in in solidarity or buying into the idea that young people are whining when we're concerned that hard work isn't paying off today like it used to. And that I was hoping he was opening opportunities up for solidarity as opposed to buying into myths. I think the hard work piece of this is interesting and it's something we've actually talked a lot about at Gen Squeeze. And it's actually a reasonably common reaction, I think, from particularly older demographics who engage with us or who engage with our work who want to point out like I did work hard you know I got where I am because I did all of these things and while doing all of those things you know I paid my taxes you know I did what was expected and we find ourselves regularly in the position of saying hey like nobody's saying you didn't um or nobody's suggesting that your hard work was somehow valueless or that it didn't entitle you to a certain range of a certain scope of well-being gen squeeze is absolutely not saying that and we're not making the kind of zero-sum argument that we need to take away from older folks in order to give to younger folks we are not the generational robin hoods over here so you know, I think it's important that we acknowledge that we're not at all demeaning the hard work of that older folks have put in. Um, but as Paul said, you can simultaneously value hard work previous generations have done and say, gosh, isn't it problematic that for younger folks, it's no longer enough to work hard. It's no longer enough to go to school. And in fact, they go to school even more and for longer and longer with bigger and bigger debts and then get jobs that are more precarious with fewer perks and that pay less overall uh, while housing costs more and more and more. Um, So you can hold on to those two things simultaneously. And I think it's an interesting theme in the engagement we get from older folks that, you know, tends to present it as an either or. Either you can recognize my work or you can say that younger folks deserve more. We're saying, as Paul said with the solidarity piece, you can do both of those things and that we need older folks to say, like, I benefited from, you know, coming of age, becoming an adult, whatever, at a time when hard work did pay off. And now I should be paying it forward to other generations who don't have that sort of unearned privilege, that that lottery of timing, uh, good fortune to to be living in that same kind of period. Andrea articulated it so well. I think one thing that is disruptive about Gen Squeeze and what this email partly alludes to is it can be hard to hear the message that somebody may be more privileged than they sometimes think of themselves as. And that's, you know, Gen Squeeze is inviting that harder conversation with our parents and grandparents to reflect on the relative privilege. That is an unsettling conversation. That is not to mean the previous work that they've done, but it does raise questions about the way in which our systems, you know, are, you know, working better depending on you know, the lottery of your birth moment. And so, yeah, Gen Squeeze is in this hard place of having these hard conversations about relative privilege. And it then leads people into saying, well, what did I earn? What was unearned? And that's complicated. And I guess I try to model that in the story that I often tell publicly. Like last year, while I was sleeping, I made half a million dollars on my home price going up. I guess I am implying that I, that wasn't earned in the same way as like when I've worked my tail off in 50 plus hour weeks for the last 18 years as a professor, you know, the dollars that have gone into my pension like that, I feel I've earned more. But these are hard conversations. And, and the fellow who wrote in here, I think, you know, he's he's hearing us raise this question, and that is unsettling. And first off, he didn't say F you and die. So great. 
please write back. You didn't actually respond to my, my response. So please write back. And that's the kind of place where we can disagree without becoming disagreeable. And so I think we can, we can gain more nuance about, first off, you know, the, when we talk about the older population, these are people that have loved and cared for the people who are young adults today and their children that they're raising. Like, these are people that we love and they love us. And so, you know, we're not trying to demean that group and it's hard work that's been gone in, but we're inviting it to look at, you know, the question of legacy, and the question of like, what are we leaving behind? And are we leaving as least as much as we inherited? I think that that is a, sometimes when, if we point out the answer is not quite as much as we'd hoped, that can be unsettling. And so that's the hard work of Gen Squeeze. And this harkens back to earlier conversations we've had in this podcast and others about, you know, the hard work of democracy. Democracy is about that kind of exchange, that exchange of ideas in between elections, not just about voting, but like, how are we making our public systems work fairly? for all generations and those still yet to come. Okay, so final email then. So this final one is from someone also who's older, uh, someone who identifies as being from Toronto. And she writes that uh, she recently discovered you, Paul, thanks to a a podcast that you were on, um, Rob Carrick's podcast, in fact, and then that led her to the Hard Truths podcast. And she was very grateful to have found the the arguments that you were posing. Uh, after hearing those arguments, she goes on to say that it has completely opened my eyes to the inherent bias favoring my age group, especially in terms of public policy like uh, old age security. I had no idea that the percentage of money spent on old age security was so obscene. Your breakdown of how the pie is sliced was a revelation. Most of my friends, including me, collect OAS and none of us need it, but I had never considered the math on a wider scale. As you have said, we need a paradigm shift, but it starts with voices like yours. Um, so yeah, I'll, I'll end it there. I won't read the rest of this, but I guess I'd ask for your, for your thoughts. Well, first, I think old age security matters and there are lots of people who claim it, who need it. Uh, so I just want to put that qualification out there. But what I found striking about this email, this definitely went into the supportive folder that I have in my inbox. And it's because the story that she ultimately shared is she's the adopted parent of her nephew. And, you know, for some time, she's sort of been discouraged that she thought her nephew, had been, I think she might have said, like, checked out a little bit and or cynical. And it was viewing that ne- negatively and then came across our Hard Truth podcast. And as she said, it's opened her eyes. And, and now she's feeling really differently about her, her, nephew's, um, her nephew's views on the world. And I just like, wow. There are certain moments where Jen Squeeze's work is a labor of love. And you're like, how do we keep going? Is it worth it? Keep trying to do this. And then you get an email like that and you're like, okay, she's modeling exactly the intergenerational solidarity that we want. And she's open to the very questions about the way in which public policy is working well and not so well across the life course. And are there some, are there some, you know, adaptations to policy that we could make? And this person's signaling, yeah, I'm open to thinking in that way. Well, that is democracy, right? That is making democracy work for all generations right there because it's thinking that way and being open to new ideas and potentially shifting our minds. And she's wanting to share the ideas in her book club. Like that's just exactly the range of conversations that we can have 
dare I say, one book club at a time, or one coffee, uh, one coffee meeting at a time, or over a glass of wine at a time. And that is how we actually build in this country a commitment, a willingness to want Canada work for all generations. And as we create those attitudes in our hearts and minds, we signal that via public opinion that then gives our politicians a sufficient amount of cover to boldly respond to the evidence that shows the current generational system is dysfunctional and broken, but there are many pathways we can follow to fix it. Yeah, I'm hesitant to like, that's such a great place to end. I'm hesitant to add anything. But I just want to say the one other piece that struck me about this email that I thought just really made my heart warm was this person's willingness to be like, I had this view. I heard something that challenged this view. And it's now making me question it, which I think is just such a inspirational way of looking at the world to be that open to receiving information that may challenge things you thought previously. And instead of rejecting it outright, or sending us the nasty emails that we get so often just telling us we're dumb and uh, that our ideas are terrible, um, that you're actually willing to engage with it and sit with it and think, hmm, you know, maybe this is cause to, uh, to think about things differently. So I think kudos to this person who's really, I think, been brave about sharing a story about how her, her eyes have been opened to a different way of looking at a situation in her own life. So as I was listening to Andrea and, and the clever way in which she just, you know, talked about someone getting new information and then thinking deeply about it and potentially changing their mind, it had me think about the first, the first email that we read out. Because in fact, I suspect the person who told us that our ideas about taxing wealth or socialism actually has never read what we say. I think that email comes to us because they've seen somewhere out there in Twitterverse or some, you know, a range of groups that actually misrepresent what we are saying. So I think that one thing Jen Squeeze is, is asking people to do is like, you know, there are, there are details about the ideas that we're putting out there that really matter. And as Andrea said, this woman was open to just thinking through some of the information and like, what did that mean for her own views? But I think that the angry emails often come from people who haven't even heard what we are proposing in sufficient detail. And they're, they're then thinking it's some scary version where we'll never allow, you know, I don't know, maybe the person thinks, well, it must be socialist because you're not going to allow home ownership any longer. (laughs) So uh, I, I would love to go back to that earlier, that earlier email and even add that kind of context, because I think there's something there to tease out that people are often angry with what Jen Squeeze says because they're hearing some misrepresentation of it elsewhere. And that would be fun to take on. So that was us responding to some of the email feedback we've gotten. But uh, I'm going to share one more piece of feedback we've received since recording the discussion that you just heard. A supporter of ours actually sent us some critical feedback about a previous episode of this podcast. He did this by writing a comment us on Instagram, which if you're not following us on Instagram, maybe you should uh, think about doing it. I mean, you know, there's no harm in it. Our handle is at GenSqueeze. Anyhow, as I was saying, one of our supporters, Sean Sorensen, shared that he didn't like some of what we had to say in our episode in which we talked about voter apathy and disillusionment in the Ontario provincial election. Uh, He also said that um, he'd be up for talking more about what his thoughts were, um, and that gave me an idea. So I messaged Sean, and I told him that we really appreciate his critical feedback, 
I told him that if he was feeling up for it, he could send me a short audio clip with his thoughts about our discussion on the Ontario election, and that if he did so, I could include the audio clip in this episode. So here it is. Take it away, Sean. Hi, Mayor. Thanks for offering up an opportunity to voice my criticisms of the voter apathy episode of the show. I would like to preface my next few points by saying that I'm a fan of the podcast, Jen Squeeze's initiatives, and for the most part, Jen Squeeze's approach. What I took issue with the most in this episode is after all of the valid reasons the hosts pointed out for voter apathy, that it still wasn't a good enough excuse to not participate in our democracy. To me, that is akin to victim shaming. Recognizing there is a problem, citing valid reasons for this problem to exist, and then blaming the voters for not being willing to participate in a broken system. If the blame or scolding is going to fall on the shoulders of underrepresented and apathetic voters, this conversation will fall on deaf ears. There are a few key issues that need to be addressed. The first of which appears to be a huge lack of representation in politics. I cannot see anyone voting for someone who does not represent their beliefs, values, or even background, just to keep democracy alive. If democracy refuses to evolve and adapt with culture and society, it will become extinct. The second key issue is political accountability. How anyone can try and hold voters accountable before politicians are held accountable is beyond me. Yes, Gen Squeeze analyzes party platforms, but Gen Squeeze is not responsible for ensuring these platforms are followed through. Who is? Even our youth know that no one is keeping these parties accountable. If voters are being asked to keep politicians accountable at the ballot box, but at each election, there is no one keeping the next group accountable, we're all just chasing our tails. Where is the incentive? I have not had the chance to listen to your newest episode yet, called Democracy Needs to Work for All Generations. Maybe you cover some of these concerns. But quickly back to my point earlier, why is democracy not evolving? This does not just mean putting the same message or rhetoric out on TikTok or Instagram. This means engaging with young voters and figuring how, how the system can represent them as they pay higher costs for food, housing, education, and transportation. Let's talk to them instead of at them. Thanks again. Thanks again to Sean for taking the time to send that in. I think what we were hoping to do in our discussion about the Ontario election was to highlight the importance of remaining politically engaged while also trying to add nuance by chatting about some of the reasons voters may have felt disillusioned and disengaged. And we were certainly open to the idea that we didn't get that balance right. And in fact, at Gen Squeeze, one of the conversations we've had is around the idea that we're quite confident when it comes to the research, data analysis, and policy ideas that we publish. That's not to say that we don't want to hear feedback about those things, but, you know, we think that we've got a pretty good handle on that stuff. By contrast, we have a fair bit more humility around the advocacy side of the equation. How to help build a movement for intergenerational fairness. How to mobilize people around the difficult work of pushing for policy change and how to make sense of the motivations and behavior of politicians and voters alike. 
Now, that's not to say that we don't know anything about these things. We have experience in collective terms as an organization and as individuals in organizing for political change. But that experience actually tells us that we need to sincerely maintain a certain level of humility. Trying to create change is a difficult thing. We're not always going to have the right answers and the right approach. Not least because things are often in flux and you know what worked in the past isn't necessarily going to work today. And when things do go the way we'd like, it's not always clear why. So all that to say, we're very open to hearing the kind of feedback that Sean has shared. If you'd like to share your thoughts about anything you heard in this episode or about any of the other work that we do, you can write to us at info at If you aren't yet subscribed to the podcast, make sure to do so. And if you can, please rate and review the podcast on Apple. That helps us out quite a bit. Thanks again for tuning in. We'll see you again soon. Yeah.